Hey, Connect Church, PD here. I hope you guys are doing good. Welcome from wherever you are. I know some people are overseas. Some people are right here within the country nationally and some locally and some right in your homes, a part of our local expression we call Connect Church. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Hey, listen, if you are a part of our home church, uh, you consider Connect your spiritual family. Hey, I want to encourage you uh, to... Uh, get some updates with us through our tech service. Um, would you consider, get your phone out, and would you text CC updates, CC updates to 97,000? I want to make sure you get important special announcements that are coming up. I want to make sure you know about initiatives, for example, with legacy that are coming up, legacy updates. We have a landing page going up I want you to see. Um, I want you to know about inclement weather when that comes um, from time to time, we pray against that in Jesus' name, but I wanna make sure you are well informed of uh, the majors that are happening and for that to do it, for that to be possible, the best way to do that is through our tech servicing. And so some of you may have already opted in, um, but uh, I think there's a lot of you that have not or it needs to be updated. So please text CC updates to 97,000. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, listen. We're starting a new series today. Really excited about this one. This is an annual series that we do at Connect. We call Legacy, Legacy. It's kind of like, you know, not just uh, what we have, but what we leave behind. And um, I want to encourage you to be a part of this entire series. This will be a three-part series, and it really deals with uh, uh, our relationship with our resources. It deals with stewardship and, and generosity and specifically money. And, and we don't talk about that a lot. We take one season intentionally to talk about it during the course of the year. Uh, if you're new to Connect, we don't even pass a plate at Connect. Uh, we do encourage giving, we teach on giving, and we believe that we can teach on it with a certain authority because we've had integrity with it for many, many years. So I wanna encourage you uh, to, to jump in, open up your heart, get ready to receive. I really think I have a timely word, a fresh word that you haven't heard before uh, from me. Now, as I get into part one today, um, I, was, uh, I was thinking about my kids' relationship with my father, my, their, their grandfather, my father. And um, he didn't, you know, kind of name himself. The kids named him. And rather than call him Grandpa, for some reason they called him Bampa. And literally, until Devin was like grown adult, he was still, all the kids were calling him Bampa. All the kids still do call him Bampa. Now, um, whenever they would see him, uh, they would, they would kind of look him up and down, you know, like checking him out. And, you know, he'd have some kind of like flash suit on or he'd have some kind of sweet jewelry thing going on or he'd be, he'd be, he just was dressed to the nine in some way. And they pull me aside. They go, dad, 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 you see, is that Rolex on his, on his wrist over there? You know, what, what, where did he, is that a diamond ring that he's got on his pinky? And, you know, and where did he get those shoes, those alligator shoes? And, and, and he used to drive, he drove it into the ground until it was literally so old, but he used to have a Mercedes Benz. And, um, you know, dad, dad knew how to roll, you know, you know what I'm saying? But he came from, he came from less. He didn't have a lot and he worked really hard and he hustled and he, he really, really stewarded well. And he taught me a lot about stewardship, not just about giving and generosity. Um, but they used to say this to me. They used to say, dad, Bampa is loaded, right? Bampa is loaded. What do they mean? They, they meant, they meant he's rich, right? And, 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 and in a way he was. And so I was like, yeah, you know, and if you need anything, go talk to him. But I want to transition because that was their view of their grandfather. But I wonder what their view is and what your view is of God. 
do you see God as rich? Because the word says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we apply that to God. But can I get even more specific? Do you see Jesus as rich? Jesus as rich. And today I want to talk about, today's topic is Jesus. Yeah, he was rich. Jesus was rich. Write that in the chat. Light it up. My Jesus, he was rich. Jesus was loaded, everybody. And I want to talk to you about the wealth of Jesus. This is a unique look. I'm believing you'll receive a revelation about the wealth of Jesus that is actually there for us. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. And uh, we're going to stay there really the whole time. I might have one other verse outside of that. Uh, But this is Paul writing a letter to the church of Corinth about another group of churches, the Macedonians. Look with me in 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, pull them out. If you have your digital Bible, open it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living. It says this. Uh, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the church of Macedonia. They are being tested. They've had many troubles. They're really poor. For they are filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So in spite of all those things, they, uh, troubles and persecutions and and poverty, their, their abundant joy overflowed in rich generosity. He says, I can testify that they not only gave what they could afford, but even more, they did it of their own free will, their own accord. They begged us, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in this gift for the believers in Jerusalem, another city. They even did more than we hoped for. And their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. First, first and foremost, really interesting. Sometimes we think God wants us to give first uh, our resources, but God wants us to give ourselves first. We need to bring ourselves before the Lord, total surrender to Him, and it's a lot easier after that to surrender other things to Him that He's given us to steward. And so he says, first action was to give themselves to the Lord, and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place. So Titus had gone to them and said, hey, we're looking for some help in Jerusalem. The church is there. And he says, I want to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. So Paul says to the Corinthians, since you excel in a lot of ways, many ways, your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to do one more thing. He's telling the Corinthians, I want you to do something maybe you're not doing. You're doing these other things, but not this. I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do that, but I'm testing you. I'm testing how how genuine is your love by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. I'm taking what you say you love and I'm comparing it to what the Macedonians have done. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Though he was rich. Come on, everybody, say that. Jesus was rich. Though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you, he could make me rich. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you make this pop, you make it uh, real and come alive. Your word is living and active. I pray it be living and active in us, and I pray we live and act on it too as a result of this message today. May your spirit be with us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Each person, individually, wherever they are, I pray, Lord, that you touch their heart and talk to their minds. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So, with that opening, are you rich? Are you rich? You know, if you're sitting next to somebody, turn around. Are you rich? Because if you are, I want to know you. See, Jesus says you are rich according to this scripture. And maybe you don't understand what really rich is. So I think we look at people in our world and we're like, well, that's rich and that's rich. In fact, if you look back in history at some of the richest people who ever lived, you might know people like J.D. Rockefeller and Carnegie and Vanderbilt. In fact, there's a story that I did a little background on where these famous um, people in previous generation in the 1800s in America, they were wealthy because of steel industry, oil industry, railroad industry. They were the wealthiest men that ever walked the planet, their families, their legacy. But in 1879, they established, they came together, they established a retreat center in western Pennsylvania, the South Fork kind of uh, retreat center. And they would go there and have, you know, certain excursions and retreats and rest periods uh, to fish and to hunt and to boat and to smoke cigars and drink bourbon, okay? And this, this South Fork Retreat Center, um, every time they went, they wanted to make it better. They tried to upgrade it. You know, they were kind of like never satisfied with what it had. And so they were constantly making it better. And um, so this lake, that this man-made artificial lake they had made, they constantly wanted to expand it. They wanted to improve uh, the fish and the boating. And so they decided against the advice of various engineers to lower the height of the dam. And, and the entire lake was, was again based upon this, this fishing screen and this uh, kind of um, overflow relief system. And so each year they would stretch the boundaries, they would stretch the parameters, and, 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 and it, would get, it would get smaller and smaller, and the fishing would get bigger and bigger and better and better, and, and the dam would become weaker and weaker and weaker uh, as the fishing got better and better and better, until one day, uh, May 31st, 1889, it started to rain. And it rained, and it rained, and it rained some more. And then at 3 p.m. in uh, 1889, the dam burst. The dam burst, and get this, 16 million tons of water came crashing down on that whole area and on a particular nearby town. You're going to see a picture here. This is Johnstown. This was 14 miles away from the dam, and look at the damage in the picture from 1889. There's kind of two pictures there where you can see horrific, horrific damage, and I don't know if you realize this, but this became the deadliest flood in American history up to date. 2,000 people died, 400 children, uh, lives were, 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 were taken, bodies were found 400 miles away, 1,600 homes were destroyed. And get this, no one in the South Fork Fishing Game Club, hunting club, were held responsible. Interesting. Why would these extraordinarily wealthy people who had great capacity to do incredible things push these limits? Why would they keep lowering uh, the dam? Why would they, why would they you know, uh, remove the, this relief system and, and instead of controlling it and keeping those boundaries in check? We all need boundaries in our life, don't we? We all need guardrails, as it were. Why would they do that and threaten the townspeople and, 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 and not think about the implications uh, and the dangerous implications? It's safe to say it was because of their desires gone haywire. It's safe to say that their ambition got the best of them. I would submit to you that the worst thing that got the best of them was their greed, their greed. 
sobering, isn't it? I mean, this greed is really the desire to acquire, as my friend used to say, gone haywire, okay? I need more. I need more comfort. I need more options. I need more flexibilities. I need more opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I need, I need, I need, I need more, 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 more. And so they struggled with that. The question is today, and the application really for now is, do we struggle with greed? Is that something maybe that affects us most? Would say, I don't struggle with greed. That's, that's, that's the big companies, and that's the really wealthy people and the big corporations, but not me. No, 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 that, that doesn't apply to me. Greed is seen as a vice for the wealthy, but the truth is it probably affects every economic status uh, that there is because it, it's, it influences the human heart at so many different levels. I think everyone struggles with greed at some level and at some point. And if you don't think you do, you probably, you might probably have, maybe, just think about it, a significant problem with it if you don't think it. Let me say it like this. In nearly, whatever, 28 years, almost 30 years of ministry as a pastor, Sometimes people don't come to me as a preacher. They come to me like a priest. They want to confess their sins and, and they want to get stuff off their chest and I'll let them. And I've had people tell me about infidelities and adulteries. I've had people tell me about criminal activities in their past, abuses, uh, addictions, uh, secret sins of all types. But listen, never in my career has anybody ever come to me and said, I struggle with greed. I have a deep, dark secret, and I need to tell you what it is, Pastor Derek. I struggle with greed. Never has that happened, yet we live in the most affluent nation in the world. Per capita, by percentage, you're all wealthy. Every single one of you that are listening to the sound of my voice are extremely wealthy. I wonder if we, including me, <laughs> have a problem. Because my, my experience is that most people, when we start talking about money in church and resources in church, they don't want us to talk about it because of uh, part in fact, part and parcel, as my daddy used to say, to the abuses and to the manipulations and the control of people of influence, uh, say, like me. And that can be true. But I, but I submit to you, and I'm trying to get something into you, that there's maybe a more pervasive problem, and it's a problem of our heart. In fact, if you're coming and you're listening sometimes for the first time in a long time, and then you come back, uh, and they're talking about money, and you left and they were talking about money, maybe it's because God wants to get to you about the subject of resources because you might and we might all struggle with greed. Why is that the case? Why, why are we like that? I think money for us is seen a lot of times as a source. We see money as our source, not God as our source. How do I know? Because we think about it all the time. It's a preoccupation. How do I know? Because we strive for more of it. You know, it's, it's our occupation. It's, it, it, it takes up, it, it, it's, it's something that we work for all the time. It gets our time and it gets our effort. And it gets a lot of our energy is going in that direction. And so it's, it's obvious that that is seen as by our behavior and activities and our attitudes and our thoughts uh, are source. In addition to that, money for many of us creates a certain sense of status, right? You get, you know, a new suit, you feel kind of fly. I bought a new suit for Christmas. I can't wait to wear it, if I'm totally honest, because it makes me feel, and sometimes people do this with clothing. Women do this with clothing. Men do it too. It makes me, the shoes you get, it makes you feel like you're more right? If you have something, if you acquired something, if you wear something, maybe it's a car that you get, you know, you feel, you feel a certain sense of status. I can remember, you're gonna, they're going to show you a picture in a second, but when I was in college, my grandfather gave me this truck. Look at it. I mean, 
take a look at that thing, okay? This is a Subaru Brat. It, I used to call it the chuck wagon. I, I, not affectionately either. I, could, I said something else, but I'm not gonna say that. It's, it ends with box and it starts with something else, okay? And I, I just, I didn't really appreciate it. You know, it was given to me, it's probably worth about 800 bucks. It had just a terrible color. And every time I'd have a date with a girl or some kind of significant meeting, I would borrow somebody else's car. Why would I do that? What was the, what was the reason for that? Uh, wh why did it matter to me so much? Maybe things were more important to me than I realized. I remember when our house, I used to live uh, right outside here in a, in a condo, a first floor condo, a thousand square feet with four kids, everybody. And I was a pastor. And I didn't want to invite people over my house because it was so small. My kids might be playing in the bathroom because there was no space. Well, why is that? You know, why is that? Why did it matter to me so much? And, and, and there's the other side, you know, of this is, is because of that, sometimes we go crazy to try to get more. And that's why the average American has about $90,460 in debt. That's the average between credit card debt, consumer debt, student debt, mortgages. The more debt we acquire, the more unsafe we feel, but yet we go to get more to feel the status and to feel the security. And, and, and then some of us that get more money, that's to help us with the what ifs, right? I want to handle all these what ifs. I want to handle all these, these issues that could come up because, this is the other side, I like being in control. I like being in control. Reality is greed might be less about having things, might be less about being rich. It actually might be more about how do I control things with what I have. Might be a control problem. That's why 2 Corinthians 8 is such a revolutionary uh, text because these people in their poverty overcame their greed. 1 Timothy 6, they overcame their wealth. And, and, and the fear of not having enough and, and the need to be in control, they overcame it by learning how to give. That's how they did it. So here's our big idea, everybody. And, 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 and I think our biggest problem is greed. And I think our biggest solution in society is generosity. The cure to the cancer of greed is generosity. And so at this time, uh, there's this, this, this plea to, for the church of Jerusalem. It's in desperate need and they reach out and they're saying, help, 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 help. And the Macedonians, they respond. They respond intensely and, 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 and intentionally and, and, and they do it in their poverty and they do it out of persecution. Many of them were being killed for their faith. Many of them didn't have anything. And isn't it interesting, just as a sidebar, that, that the Apostle Paul, and Jesus as well, never discouraged the poor who didn't have anything not to give. He would encourage even the poor to give because of the benefits of generosity to everyone, not just those who have a lot. So sometimes it seems irresponsible, and we look at other people who encourage people who don't have a lot to give, but it's good for you to be a giver. And so this, cult, this, this, this group of people gave to a different culture. They gave to a different race, a different location, a different, they, they even spoke a different language. They had really never even been there or with them. And the Bible says they gave from their, they gave from their own accord, their own need, and they went even above and beyond what was asked of them. Why? It begs the question, I'm doing all this to bring us to this point of why would anyone do this? It's so countercultural. And verse 9 Look at it with me. 
Verse 9 gives us a glimpse of why this would happen. It says, Paul speaking, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though Jesus was rich, yet for you he became poor, so that by his poverty he will make you rich. See, Jesus wants to make you and me rich. Not like you think rich is. Okay, this is not about your 401k or your IRA. This is about the wealth of Jesus, the wealth of Jesus. The wealth of Jesus was simply it was it was connected to the fact that he is God, that he is the designer and architect of all things, that God is self-sufficient, all sufficient. Uh, He has he has everything he needs. He needs nothing. If he did need something with a thought, he could supply that need to himself, but he never needed anything. And in his contentment, in his fully satisfied state that could last all through eternity. This same God became flesh and dwelt among men. And in that place, that incarnate God became poor. He divested himself of all his robes, all his status. He divested himself of all his securities in heavenly realms. And he became poor. And, and, and he didn't have to. He chose to, and he became a person of need. He chose, listen, to live in profound need. For example, he came into the world with nowhere to live. The Son of God was, had to live in a borrowed manger, an animal trough. The, the awesome God that we love, the incarnate God. When he grew up, uh, we are told that he didn't own, own a home, and so he had to borrow uh, a home from, from friends. He often had no food, and when he had to feed the 5,000, he had to borrow a little boy's lunch to pay. He had no money when he was teaching one time. He couldn't even pull it from his own wallet. He had to take a coin from somebody else to make his point or his illustration. He had in his triumphant entry into the holy city on Palm Sunday, he had no transportation. He even had to borrow a donkey. He had nowhere to stay in his final meal on planet Earth before he went to the cross to be crucified. He had to borrow a room from someone else for that to transpire. He had to borrow a tomb from which he would lay his head after he died. Thank God he he didn't have to borrow it for long. That guy got it back in just three days. Can I have an amen up there? He took on the deepest poverty. On the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in this kind of cosmic, mysterious uh, moment, uh, what was he doing? What was that all about? What was happening there? See, I think he had to borrow everything in life. How do I say this? He had to borrow everything in life so we could have everything he had in this life. He wanted to give us the most important things. He had, he had, uh, uh, he became poor. He had everything given to him so that we could be rich, listen, in him, rich in him. This was uh, a part of the great exchange, the divine exchange that is spoken of in Isaiah 53. He took upon himself broken humanity, uh, the bankrupt condition of humanity uh, before God. And and, and he created an opportunity for us to be restored to fellowship and, and, and have access and position with God in heavenly realms. If we could grasp the the, the reality of that, what would we pay for that? What would we pay for that? It's priceless. 
everybody. See, this text is not about you and I becoming millionaires and billionaires. I don't want to burst your bubble, and I'm not against being a millionaire. This was about the wealth of Jesus Christ being yours. He became poor so you could become rich in him. So the riches that he's talking about is a wealth that lasts forever, that's eternal. Like Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, for all eternity. He gave us a sacred gift. What is it? Access to God. Imagine if you could stand before kings and ask and request anything you want of him. How important, how valuable, how much money would you spend? How much effort would you make? And Jesus became poor so you could have access to God the Father. And so Christianity, listen, it's not a a list of sacrifices and requirements of, of what you need to do in order to be accepted by him. That's a false understanding. That's a broken li- religion. And you will be in slavery if that's how you see it. Christianity is not a guarantee that life's going to go right. and It's going to be perfect all the time. And, and you're going to be rich and have everything you need all the time. Christianity is this life-altering truth, uh, this reality of an eternal wealth. And not an ira, but an era. It's like, a, it's like an eternal retirement account that, that he made right what was wrong in the world. Uh, revealing our, our brokenness in humanity, removing sin from our lives for all eternity, washing away our guilt and our shame and, and giving us eternal salvation and then putting within us a new heart so that if we believe that he loves us, it changes us and transforms us so that we want to give. It's a byproduct. Uh, our, our generosity is a byproduct of a revelation about what the gospel has given each one of us. And so what happens is our natural mind gets in the way. I'm getting fired up. And, and, and what happens is we, we fall prey to a scarcity mentality. In other words, if it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And this is the way we naturally think about our resources. I, resources. I got to hold on to it. I got to cling on to it. I got to. I got to protect it. I got to. You know. I got to. I got to grasp it closely and tightly. And that's not God's plan for us. The revelation of the gospel breaks the power of scarcity. God breaks the power of scarcity by proving He will take responsibility for those of us who trust Him. In other words. He resolves, if he resolves for you, your eternal need, would he not resolve and be responsible for your temporary needs? I find it amazing sometimes how we can trust him with our eternity, but we can't trust him with our temporary. See, God is trying to say they're they're connected. If you have a revelation of the wealth of Jesus, what you, the riches of relationship with Jesus, you will also have a revelation that you can, in fact, trust him. And so instead of having a scarcity attitude, you'll have an abundant mentality. You'll have an abundance mentality. Look, look at this slide that's going to go up here. I want to make some contrast. Here's what two things that are said. Scarcity says one thing and abundance says one thing. Scarcity says, what about me? Abundance says, God cares for me. Scarcity says, I need to hold on. And abundance says, I trust God to provide. Scarcity says, I'm afraid uh, I won't have enough. And and abundance says, I'm at peace because God knows what I need. Scarcity says, if I give, I will have less. And abundance says, if I give, I'll be trusted with even more. Scarcity says, I am my own source. Abundance says, God is my source. Scarcity says, fear controls me. And abundance says, love compels me. See, some of you might think, you know, let me put it like this. 
if you don't believe God's done anything for you, well, then don't give. But be careful that you've evaluated that. Because one day we're going to stand before God. We're going to have two tests. You know, what did you do with my son, what I, what I gave you? And what did you do with the resources, gifts, and talents that I gave you? See, I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I, I'm very aware uh, and I'm becoming more aware of what God has done for me. I mean, God has given me peace in my soul. He's helped me overcome anger. He's helped me overcome hurt and unforgiveness. He's given me favor. Like, wow, like supernatural favor. He's given me my family that loves Jesus, a spiritual family that I'm so blessed by, you being one of those people, part of that family. He's given me health that is more important to me uh, than my wealth, and I'm so grateful. He's given me eternal security that I was talking about a few minutes ago. He's given me gifts that I get to make a difference. I don't have to make a difference. I don't got to make a difference. I get to. He's been merciful to me when I failed him and I've fallen and I've, and, and I, and I've messed up. He, he has given me endurance. And the grace to overcome sometimes trials and difficulties and an anchor uh, of hope in those difficult things. See, God's been good to me and he's been good to you. When you are mindful of that, you'll have an abundance mentality. And it changes the way you live. See, generosity begins with the truth and a revelation of the gospel. And then, everybody say then, then it becomes after that revelation a learned behavior. And I want to talk about that because a lot of times people get saved like the Corinthians and certain things are saved or sanctified. But it's interesting that when we get born again, we become like Christ with the exception of our wallets. Our wallets typically go last. We get baptized and we hold our wallets out and we don't get those dunked sometimes. All the other parts are transformed sometimes, but that one. And God wants to see that part of you changed and transformed as well. That's why Paul, when he was speaking to the Corinthians, he says, hey guys, good job, you're growing in a lot of ways, but in this one area you have some hesitancy, and I want to talk about that. He says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. What's happening here? He's fundamentally saying that the evidence of genuine love is a generous life. The evidence of a generous love is a generous life. In other words, you can't say, you can, you can, you can say, I love God. You can pretend to love God. You can talk about loving God. But until you become generous, listen, it's really not real. You can't be uh, spiritually mature and stingy. They, 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 they're co they go together. They're, they're hand in glove. It's impossible. You know, I find it interesting. And this is a, an experiential statement of PD-ism, that the two biggest areas, in my opinion, of trusting God are with our mouth and our money. More specifically, as we're a spirit-filled church, and so we believe in spirit baptism, that God wants to bypass your head and give you a prayer language so you can communicate with God and edify yourself. And I think we need that more than any other time. And a lot of people get hung up on that doctrine. A lot of people get hung up on that experience because they can't release their mouths. Even more than releasing their mouths, people get hung up releasing their money. And some of the, the, the two biggest signs sometimes of maturity are our ability to trust God with our mouth and our money. That was for somebody. Now listen, I want to I give you a chance. I want to give you an opportunity to, um, to practice what we say we believe. So on December 5th, we have our legacy offering. I want to give you an opportunity to participate in the vision of Connect with bringing a sacrificial offering. So just to be clear, I want to give you plenty of runway and road map for this. This is what it goes to, five different lanes of ministry. Uh, projects, those are high-impact initiatives like buying buildings and 
making improvements to reach more people. It goes to education. So we have a bunch of different things that come, come under that, Christian education, Hope Centers. Um, you know, um, we have leadership, things like CLA and, and, and coaching and things we do. We have um, also missions. Uh, we do a ton uh, with missions and then church planning and church building. So this is 100% of the offering goes into those lanes. I'll give you more on that. You can go to our landing page at CC Updates, and you can find out more information about that in the coming days so you can see where does the money go and what do we do with all of that. And so what happens fundamentally is when you give, by the way, over and above your tithe, your material goods produce eternal goods, Okay. Let me unpack that for you. Like Luke 16, 9 basically says that when you give, it helps people enter into eternal dwellings. Your money equals souls in heaven, okay? And so as an example, when you invested uh, a couple years back in the offering to build, um, or excuse me, launch a campus in Framingham, which is now meeting on a regular basis, incredible location. We're so proud of you guys. Um, it gives the opportunity for people to come to Jesus. For example, this one individual, I won't mention his name. I'll just call him Joe for all intents and purposes. But very recently, Joe came to the church, just kind of walked in, found a Framingham campus, and he was in a really dark place. He wasn't really doing well uh, spiritually, emotionally. He was struggling. Let me just leave it like that. And he found faith. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. He filled out a connection card. Pastor Cliff called him, began to minister to him, got him some counseling. Uh, he, he went through next steps. He got on a team, began to serve. He started going to small groups. And last Sunday, come on, everybody, this guy ba got baptized. He went public with his faith, and he's literally transformed. That wouldn't be possible without our material goods. We wouldn't have seen the eternal good of what happened in Joe's life. This is what the legacy offering is all about. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for 100% participation. All of you online, I don't really care as much about the amount. That's not as important as all of us participating. See, when we all do a little bit, we accomplish more, okay? And so God can take all of what we have and he can do something incredible with it. So everyone, I'm encouraging you to participate. Pray about it. Talk to God. December 5th is a big day. Now, it will change people's lives. But let me tell you something. It'll change you in a big way. Learn to be generous. Now, I want to end with three kind of core principles of generosity. Because I want to give you some practical, some challenges. And here they are, okay? This is what a lot of people haven't heard or maybe haven't heard in a long time. This is what I believe with my whole heart. Number one, a core principle is priority giving. Priority giving. This is what this says. It says, I give back to God first. So like in the Fry household, before I do groceries and mortgage, I make sure that I give to the house of God, to the vision of Connect Church. And, and, and to the, I believe in it. That's one reason that I do it. But I also believe in priority giving. What does, what does that do for us as a Fry family? Well, it teaches my heart. It instructs my heart to trust God with my resources. And when I'm doing it, because I do it first, if it's last, it's charity. If it's first, it's faith. It's faith. God wants you to give in faith. And a lot of times we say, well, you know, he doesn't need it. God can do anything. God can do anything. The truth is God can't do anything. God can't lie. <laughs> it's true. God can't lie because he's perfect truth. God can't change. In his immutability, he cannot change. He can't learn. He's not going to have like an aha moment. Oh my gosh, I never knew that before. And listen, God cannot be second. This is what we call the preeminence of God. He has to be first. 
He has to be first. And so when I treat him second in my life, I'm interacting with God in an inauthentic way, and it's incongruent with, with who he is. And so the only way that I can really know God fully is by putting God first in my life. So God will, listen, he'll become more real in your life to the degree he is first in your life. And I, I put this in my notes, just a thought for some of you. If you feel a little distant, a little like in disfellowship, disconnected, like I just can't seem to connect with God, is it possible? Is it, a, is it possible that the problem is he's not first, okay? So my first question with this is a priority giving. Is God, is God first in your resources? How does that plan out? Number two, write this down. Number two, we believe in priority giving and we believe in percentage giving. I give proportionately, proportionate to my income. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I don't have to keep up with somebody else. Equal sacrifice, equal reward. So if you're a millionaire and you give 100 bucks, that, that, that's not a sacrifice. Okay, but if you're poor, that's a lot of money. So the tithe is commonly the biblical standard. It's... It's, um, it's indirectly shows up before the Old Testament. It shows up the tithe throughout the Old Testament. And it's been argued whether it even manifests in the New Testament. I think it manifests in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23, for example, is a red letter edition of the tithe in the New Testament. But whether you want to argue that or not, let me put it like this. Is the, te- is the Old Testament standard higher than the New Testament standard? Is the law is it, does, is it less than the standard of grace? No, God's basically saying by his grace you can do more and you can live at a higher standard and you can even give more because all of it belongs to him. And so I believe the tithe is simply a basement. It's the starting point, not the ceiling. And God wants you to ultimately, he doesn't care about money. He wants you to trust you. He wants you to trust him, excuse me, with your whole heart. But trusting him with a portion is the evidence that you trust him with your whole heart. So are you a percentage giver? Number three, number three, are you a progressive giver? Progressive giving. We have priority, percentage, and progressive giving. This is a big one for me. Uh, I, I expand my giving over time. That's kind of our sticky statement. I expand my giving over time. God calls us to grow in faith. He calls us to grow in love in the Bible. And listen, he calls us to grow in the grace of giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is, this, this is my heart. I want to grow as a giver. Do you want to grow as a giver? See, I, this time of year, I actually like it because it helps me recalibrate my goals, my aspirations, and my desires to reflect really the heart of God and what I say that I want to do. And so I don't want to, whenever we give, by the way, as a family, Stacey and I, we don't go backwards. We, we've never gone backwards. We've always gone forward in our giving. Progressive giving has been our lifestyle and, and belief system and habit. And so tithing and bringing offerings, it sets up these guardrails for my heart. It, 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 it keeps me from the cancer of greed, and it continues to put God as my source. And the results for me, I'm just testifying, are, are provision and protection. Malachi 3, you know, he rebukes the devourer for my sake, and he opens up the windows of heaven. And so I'm encouraging you. My challenge is this. I'm encouraging you, all those that are listening online, to structure your life and become a priority giver, a percentage giver, 
and a progressive giver. Don't ignore the word of God. If you want to have a heart that is fully alive, you've got to condition it, okay? Learning to be generous teaches your heart like no other thing. And, and, and you might think you believe it, you might accept it intellectually and rationally, but you'll never really know it. You'll never have revelation until you do it. Be a priority percentage and progressive giver. And this is what will happen. See, generosity teaches me that what might be the most important lesson of all, God, he's not a taker. God is not a taker. God is a giver. And we'll discover as we begin to practice these things that you can trust him. And as you do it over and over and over again, it will condition you. You'll begin to see it is more blessed to give than receive. You'll begin to see that as you give, he'll give back to you 30, 60, 100 fold. He'll give back to you more than you can even ask or imagine. He'll, he'll give back to you uh, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But it's like a seed in the farmer's hand, okay? This teaching gets abused a lot of times, but when you plant seed in the ground, you lose control. You put it in the earth, you put it in the ground, you can't see it anymore, and you, you have to release it, you have to let go of control. And it's in that moment, that, that act of faith, that the miracle transpires and the seed begins to germinate and eventually it produces a fruit. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So don't give to get more, give to give more, everybody. And you'll see and you'll experience that the wealth of Jesus is that God is my wealth. God is my reward. And you'll have a heart that is fully alive. And you'll begin to see that, you know what? My thoughts are not as good as his thoughts. They're not as high as his thoughts. And my ways are not as high as, as his ways, uh, that they're better for me, declares the Lord. Come on, close your eyes, bow your head. I want to pray for you wherever you are. I hope this message has ministered to you. But Father, for everyone who's out there, I pray that through this challenge, Lord, that they would not uh, just listen to the word, be, be hearers of the word, but doers also. Lord, I pray they become generous. Lord, we can't say we genuinely love if we don't live generously. Lord, for any person who's far from God, who's distant, disconnected from God, I pray right now, if that's you, just make a decision right now to say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. I can't do it without you. I need salvation. I need, I need your forgiveness. And I repent for my sin and I receive your forgiveness. In addition, I receive you. The riches of relationship with Jesus Christ are mine by grace through faith. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, seal it, the Bible says, until the day of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen. I hope this message ministered to you. If you made that decision, please text CC Saved to 97000. We want to send you some information to help you on your spiritual journey. If you need prayer, hey, listen, go into one of those chat rooms and say, that's me. I, I, I need to talk to somebody. I want to talk through this message. I want to talk through something that's going on in my life. And I want to tell somebody that I just made the decision. It's really important that you tell somebody the decision you made. I can't wait to see you next week in the continuation of Legacy. I hope it blesses you. And don't forget to talk to God and do what he says on December 5th. God bless you.